Hello and welcome back to Spotlight on Women in Health Ventures, the podcast powered by Thea, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering women as entrepreneurs in healthcare. June Axip is the Chief Science Officer and partner at IndieBio, the world's leading biotech startup accelerator. Focused on turning scientists into entrepreneurs, IndieBio has funded and helped build over 100 biotech companies spanning the future of food and agriculture, consumer biotech, computational biology, digital health, therapeutics, medical devices, neurotech, and regenerative medicine. At IndieBio, June advises companies, runs scientific programming, and makes investment decisions. Prior to IndieBio, she worked at several biotech startups, including Sutra Biopharma and Synthego, gaining experience in precision medicine, high-throughput drug discovery, automation robotics, and CRISPR. In addition, June co-founded two companies, including MyEye Diagnostics, which develops proteomic tools for the early detection of cancer. June received her PhD in chemical biology from the Scripps Research Institute, where she developed targeted immuno-oncology drugs using genetically engineered unnatural amino acids. It is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast with us, June. We're very excited to learn about your journey in becoming a scientist, entrepreneur, and now investor uh, who's passionate about human health and planetary health. Let's start at the beginning. What or who motivated you to pursue a PhD in chemical biology? I like to say that my origin story starts with burning plastics. And more specifically, uh, I think when I, as I grew up, I was more into math than science. I think science became a love in high school and it was definitely because of my teachers. Um, The biology class I took was amazing and I started understanding how the body works. And uh, and then I also took chemistry afterwards, which started getting into the molecular side of, of biology. Um, but it didn't all come together until I started participating in an after-school program called Science Olympiad. It was a competition where you team up with a bunch of kids from your school and you would go to other schools and compete against various different topics. And so that was also the first time that science wasn't just memorization and regurgitation on a test, but really hands-on. And so the the event that I uh, loved the most was called uh, polymer detectives, where they give you pieces of plastics and you had to, based on burn tests and density tests and understanding the properties of these plastics, you had to identify what they were. So yeah, so I ended up a lot of days after school burning plastics to test and learn the, uh, learn about the plastics. And uh, But that hands-on aspect at that ownership aspect and, and also the you doing competitions in a group in a team uh, mm-hmm. was what really drove me into laboratory research. That's amazing to hear, and uh, you know, just seeing your trajectory as now an investor and someone who's working towards magnifying the impact of science um, through innovative strategies and ultimately commercialization. Um, but as far as the PhD, uh, what did you focus on uh, specifically in your work? Yeah, my PhD was um, at Scripps Research Institute uh, in the field of chemical biology. And um, if you're familiar with like the difference between chemical biology and biochemistry is that biochemistry is more of observing nature and it's more of a traditional science. Mm -hmm. But chemical biology is more of an engineering science. It's applied. It's very much now that we can observe nature, 
how can we use chemicals to hack nature and build and engineer with it? And so I actually didn't understand the distinction when I first got into chemical biology. Uh, but over time, I realized that was the element that I really loved is actually the engineering and the creation. Um, and so, yeah, so the, um, the lab that I worked in uh, worked with unnatural amino acids. And so we would genetically encode and use directed evolution to get organisms to take on a 21st amino acid. So kind of the question of why did nature make 20? And if we were to introduce additional chemical functions, what could we do with it? And so I was using that um, as a handle to make complex uh, antibody engineering projects for immunotherapies. So uh, taking an antibody, conjugating it to a drug or conjugating it to another antibody to make it a bispecific antibody. And we would use um, that as a, a, a way to, to um, cure cancer. That's amazing to hear about those implications and applications to real life therapy. Um, you know, as, as someone who was, you know, once in academia and now as you know, transitioned her career. Uh, what do you think about, I guess, the message or this prioritization of the academic publication? And how do you think that academics should maybe pivot their work or um, think about other foci uh, beyond the publication, such as how to build something around this asset, uh, you know, specifically a business? Yeah. First of all, I think there's nothing wrong with people who want to be in academia and want to become professors and, and really just dive into the science of how things work. Um, I think, you know, the most important, actually, I would say all uh, scientific discoveries started in academia, right? And, and started, sure. oftentimes started without a application in mind, like CRISPR was very much a, oh, we're just observing how these bacteria are building this immune response against viruses. And then suddenly the idea of, wait, let's manipulate this so that we can actually build it into a tool. And so um, I think, but I think there is a distinction of people who really love the understanding and diving into the understanding of nature and, and then people who want to take nature and build something with it and um, either you know, cure disease or solve climate change uh, or even just you know, build tools that make, make things more efficient. Um, so, and I, so I think bo both, both are you know, totally, we, we need to support both. Um, for those who you know, are interested in doing the application side of things, um, I think, you know, yeah, oftentimes in academia, we, we think of the, the, um, the paper you, you know, at the very, very end in the, dis the discussion section at the bottom, it's like, this research could be applied to X, Y, and Z, right? Uh, and then you kind of end there. Uh, when you think about building a startup, you want to look at that section first and, and say, okay, what problems am I actually solving? And then try to build technologies towards that problem. So I think that is a, a kind of huge shift in mindset um, because I think in academia, we tend to take a technology and just slowly build that technology up versus in, in the applied sciences or, or building a company, you really want to identify the problem first and then build technology towards that problem. But it is kind of a dance that you have to kind of navigate these two things, these two opposing or these two you know, very big ideas and then kind of find that intersection in the middle. Personally, how do you go about 
analyzing companies in the most objective manner possible. Of course, you know, subjective qualities of entrepreneurs are important, um, you know, as in terms of, you know, being charismatic and, and really selling your yourself. But how do you reconcile that as an investor? Um, I think it's, you know, we definitely give, you know, a lot of support to, um, to our companies. And, and actually, maybe I can step back a little bit about um, what IndieBio does. Um, so we are a startup accelerator. Uh, we're one of the first um, that were, that's devoted to biotech. Uh, about six years ago, we started um, in San Francisco. And then now, last year, we now have a branch in New York as well. And it started with the thesis was um, essentially that if you look at tech entrepreneurship, essentially, if you had a laptop and a phone, you could start an app and a company, right? And you can't do that in biotech because you need a lab and you can't get data and get funding until you have a lab. And so there's this chicken and egg problem that really caused the barrier to start um, to be very high. And so our thesis at the time was, what if we provided that lab and that, that physical lab space and provided some funding for people who um, don't have their own funds and just have their own idea to come in and prototype their, their um, work. And then the idea is after four months, you know, hopefully, hopefully something works out and then they, they can find other investment and that their company could take off. And, you know, since then um, we've seen definitely like a, a lot um, going into this and there's now so much additional support around around this and we found that actually a big part of our 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 um, program too is the network that it builds and the fact that all these these scientists who also you know haven't had other kind of entrepreneurship exposure or haven't been around other entrepreneurs before are now in a space where everybody is a scientist entrepreneur and so we really help support them in this community and, and in this mindset. And so we can kind of think of it as similar to a PhD program where you know, doing innovation by default um, is, is really, really hard because you, know, you, you fail like 95% of the time. Um, but if you are in a cohort of other people doing the same thing and having mentors and, and having you know, professors and, and whatnot work with you, uh, it becomes less scary. So we are program ends up becoming essentially kind of like a entrepreneurial postdoc uh, for, for a lot of folks. And so I think it's that environment that we really try to cultivate uh, in um, with our companies because we do spend every day with them. Um, this would be pre-pandemic. During the pandemic times, unfortunately, we had to move digital, which, which still worked pretty well, but obviously it's not the same as um, being face-to-face -face in the same space every day. And so we have been able to provide a lot of feedback with all, all of the companies, um, depending on what you know their stage and what they need. Um, and, and we get to work with companies deeply on a personal level too. Um, so we do have not just science curriculum and business curriculum, but we actually have a leadership curriculum, which actually I was talking about those, like what are the biases? What are the fears that are keeping you back? We actually openly discuss those things. Amazing. And um, yeah, make sure that people are aware that they're not holding themselves back just because of certain fears. And of course, we all have fears, especially doing entrepreneurship. It's, it's, there's lots to fear there uh, since it's so unknown. Um, so, so yeah, so I think that that's like the, the basic level of support we provide to all of our companies. Um, and um, you know, we work with companies like international founders from all over the world. 
Um, so we're extremely diverse, and um, and I think that diversity has been an extreme value in in our in our cohorts. Um, from your perspective, what do you think makes an idea investable? That's a hard one, and I think that's that's what I uh, you know spend most of the time evaluating. Right, At, um, we think. Um, so, so from the kind of the basic level, we evaluate companies on five things. Um, first of all is what is the technology that gives it an unfair advantage? Um, and so, you know, you want something unique, you want something that's patentable. Uh, second thing is what is the product? Because the technology itself is different and the science itself is different from what you're actually producing. You can't sell science, right? You have to wrap it up into a product, even if it's a service using the science. Um, it's either something physical or a service or you know a molecule or something. Um, third is what is the business model? And just having a product, you have to understand how does the money flow? Who's going to give you? Who's going to pay for it? Um, is your business model actually around data and collaborations? And you know these are all uh, big questions for a company to steer. Um, as a venture capital firm, you know, we're looking for big returns. So uh, for IndieBio too, we, you know, we kind of tangentially say uh, a billion people or a billion dollars. So we're looking for big money sectors or, and hopefully and, um, helping a lot of people in the world. So, um, so big problems to be solved. And then the last question, which is almost the most important question is, are, is this a team to do it? It's like, who, who's behind this? Because obviously everybody has ideas. Ideas are a dime a dozen, um, but ultimately it's the execution. So do people, are, do people have the drive, the knowledge, the background? Um, are they able to hire the right people to fill in the gaps that they need um, to really drive that? And so a lot of times you know, there we're looking for passion behind the, the, the founders. It's like why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and sometimes it could be fine if they just want to make money, but um, but but that's good to know. Uh, versus a lot of our companies, um, you know, we do have people who had family members succumb to cancer, and they never want to see that affect another person again. Or people who you know love um, trees and are so heartbroken by the fact that we're cutting down so many trees and climate change. Um, so we've seen a lot of people who you know get into science and get into entrepreneurship because they want to make that bigger impact in the world. And that's really amazing because that ends up, um, their passion ends up magnifying and, and bringing in other people towards that passion and vision as well. Um, and so we see uh, really great teams grow out of these, these types of um, you know, vision and impact um, companies. Are there particular drug modalities that really have stuck out to you? I know, you know, the mRNA, the CRISPR technology with the Nobel Prize and now Scribe Therapeutics has, has perked up. Um, are there particular drugs or indications that you're excited about um, as an investor? Yeah, I think um, so as for IndieBio, we don't do like single molecule compounds. Um, we're just not set up for that. Um, but what we're looking for is platform technologies. So we end up looking at um, 
you know, novel technologies that will be able to move the needle on usually a few different indications or it's a strategy kind of um, around delivery or specificity or something like that. So, you know, we've had companies um, in like exosomes and um, in uh, AV gene therapy or like adjuvants to AV gene therapy because um, it actually causes, you know, AV causes an immune response. And so you can only get one dose. Um, but if you can potentially like hack the immune system to actually re-recognize the AV as a self, then now you can dose it multiple times. Um, we've seen, you know, stem cell related therapies. I think that's, that's um, something that, uh, you know, had a lot of promise for a while and then kind of dampered down for a while. Then now I think has matured and um, is coming back and being, becoming more focused with, with more, more science backing it. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really excited to see a lot of these new modalities and definitely, yeah, gene and cell therapy is, uh, is really hot. And, um, but, but people are also understanding where the problems are. And so finding companies that have technologies to solve those particular problems um, are, are what we're looking for in platform technology. Um, are there any specific companies that have gone through the program that you'd like to share or highlight? Uh, yeah, so, so many companies. So we've for invested sure. 160 companies so far. Um, and so half of them are in uh, human health, what we usually traditionally think as of biotech, and then half of them in planetary health. Um, so planetary health being defined as kind of food, agriculture, um, you know, consumer biotech. Um, now we're even looking at carbon sequestration and recycling or getting rid of plastics. Um, so yeah, I guess some of the ones that we're probably most known for, um, Memphis Meats is a cell ag company that is, it was the first um, cell-based meat company. So taking a stem cell from uh, a, a cow and then growing it in the lab to make it into your steak uh, in the future. And so, um, so that was a, definitely a really interesting idea and repurposing a lot of stem cell research into an area that was completely novel. And um, so since then, there are now dozens of cell-based meat companies and, and other types of cellular agriculture companies. Um, so we've been really uh, excited to see a lot of that. Um, similarly, you know, Clara Foods, Geltor are making um, egg white protein and gelatin in bacteria. So making food uh, by fermentation. And that's been, biofermentation. I think is, um, one of the you know, big things coming out of synthetic biology is now that we can rematerialize the world, either it's food or products or, uh, or materials um, from growing, growing it in, in, in vats. Um, and, uh, and that's starting to become more economical. So, um, so that's really awesome to see. Another area similar in foods that we've um, helped a lot with was um, in plant-based foods. Notco um, is one of them that uh, came out of Chile that's doing plant-based dairy products, but now they um, have plant-based milk that's in um, Whole Foods. So um, a lot of our companies are actually selling in, um, in retail now. Yeah. Agriculture, we have things like Beeflow that are looking at um, uh, ways to soup up bees and you're actually giving supplements to bees to allow them to work harder and, um, and, and to prevent some of the diseases going around. Um, in the carbon sequestration, uh, we have companies that are going from CO2 to hydrogen. 
um, or converting CO2 to, to fish feed for aquaculture um, or CO2 to, to, um, to uh, uh, building blocks, um, concrete as well. Um, and then I think the thing that most excites us is finding companies that are kind of doing very, very novel things that are at the intersection of, of different disciplines that um, haven't existed before. Uh, so one of which is catalog that um, is storing digital data in DNA. And so um, you know, we can think of DNA as code with the ATCGs, um, but and um, you know, all of the world's data is currently made on tapes. Um, that magnetic tapes that do actually wear out in 20 years, but DNA is highly stable, especially if you lyophilize it, you can freeze it, uh, and then you can replicate it really easily with PCR, right? So um, it's a really interesting intersection of IT and biology. And one of my personal areas that I'm really um, interested in right now is fertility. And so um, last batch, we made a few investments uh, taking skin cells and turning them into eggs. Uh, and another company that is um, doing a diagnostic uh, for fertility and providing supplements and, and nutraceuticals to try to increase fertility. Wow, out of this world science, you know, it's, it's things that I would never have even thought of. Um, and I just think that really speaks to the creativity and the culture um, of IndieBio. And, you know, my next question was, going to be, you know, what makes you all different from other, you know, biotech accelerators and programs, but I think the, the investments sort of speak for themselves. Absolutely. And actually, we love the fact that there are so many other mm -hmm. accelerators and programs because, you know, our goal was to increase innovation throughout the world. And so we need a lot more uh, of them. And so, uh, so yeah, no, that's really great that scientists are now having the opportunity to become entrepreneurs. And I think that's something that in itself is a cultural shift that um, I think most PhD students don't think about. Um, I think in some ways, even just going into industry is kind of like a black sheep move to do, right? Really? Going into entrepreneurship is something that you like, yeah, most people don't even have the exposure to that idea. And the fact that more and more schools now and in other incubators are partnering to really get students thinking about entrepreneurship, even as they enter grad school, that's super amazing. And, you know, we, we definitely see folks now going into grad school saying, you know, I want to build a company out of my research, you know, PI, what, what can I work on? Right. So, um, so uh, I think with that mentality shift, um, you know, we definitely still have the place for basic research, but for people who really want to do applied research, then yeah, it really doesn't end with a paper. Totally agree. And I think that sort of takes us full circle in terms of what we were discussing before regarding, you know, academia as this haven for so many new ideas, really pushing the needle of science. And, you know, it's a, it's a luxury to be at a place where you can sort of walk down the street and they're experts in statistics and walk the other way and they're, you know, um, in medicine or history of medicine or what have you. Um, and it's just amazing to get all those opinions as you build your own business model. So I think it's just, it's a very unique opportunity, uh, short lived uh, to be a student. Um, but it's just, it's just such a great, um, you know, time to, to spend in that environment. Thank you.
How do you see, I guess, the world of venture capital changing um, from your perspective, given, you know, the advent of virtual pitches and this idea of warp speed, uh, where things are going much quicker? How do you think um, the VC world will embody this mentality or will things go back to normal? I think it has already shifted and I've been so surprised watching what happened in the last year. Uh, obviously, as soon as lockdown happened in last March, um, there was a couple months where things slowed down a little bit because I think everyone was kind of like, oh wait, what is happening? Let's look at the news every day, what's going on? Um, but then after a few months, people just realized, okay, we're, we're not going back to normal. This is the new reality. Um, and in some ways, this is a time more than ever that we need to be investing in biotech. And so everybody just, everything just went back to normal, back to, back to normal in speed, I guess. Um, but obviously everything's virtual and, um, and, you know, and, and in some ways there's been, um, it's been more international people um, who maybe had geographical restrictions or maybe had some mandate where they had to go meet a um, founder in person uh, are now comfortable with giving money, having never met somebody and, and only meeting them through Zoom. So, um, so hopefully that collaboration will continue. Um, we've seen so much money going into biotech because um, I think the world has realized that biotech is the only way to get us out of something like the pandemic and, and also realizing now biotech can be applied to climate change, which is another big pandemic on, on the horizon. Uh, so more and more people who were tr maybe traditional tech investors or maybe in different sectors became more interested in in, in um, biotech. And I think in general literacy around what bi biology, molecular biology, uh, definitely around viruses has shot up dramatically. So um, so yeah, we're really excited to see that. Um, definitely a lot of money going into um, later stage rounds. Um, and uh, you know, I think it's still a little bit of a question of how much like early stage, like if, whether early stage got a kick or, or kind of maintain the same level. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, we've been seeing a lot of B rounds, C rounds um, in the biotech space and hopefully that, will, that trend will continue to trickle on. Um, I wanted to you know, thank you so much again, uh, June, for your time. Um, I'd like to conclude with a lightning round of questions uh, that uh, one of our members um, has prepared. So a bit more lighthearted, if that's okay with you. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Um, so what inspired you to write and sing songs on the ukulele? Um, I do a lot of art projects on the side um, or the, the creativity aspect. And so, you know, sometimes I need to like exercise that muscle a little bit. And so that's gone come in different phases and different mediums previously. So my current medium is the is ukulele and uh, actually getting into like some music production as well right now. Um, but uh, I, a lot of my work tends to marry art and science. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's the, that's the art. current iteration of my, of my outlet right now. Um, who's your biggest role model? So many, I think I, I try to find role models in every, everyone. Um, uh, I mentioned, I I'm currently on like a self-development kick. And so I've been reading a lot of Brene Brown, um, and, uh, the school of life with Alain de Botton. Um, I think those, um, the perspectives there are really, 
awesome in understanding how how a lot of like societal expectations and thoughts have come to be through history and how those have changed especially in the digital age and um and how yeah a lot of these ingrained system problems probably need a change um, and how and how much we've internalized so much from from our histories. So uh, so yeah, it's it's um, it's been interesting kind of diving into my own psyche to like understand myself in, in, in a somewhat scientific way. Very cool. And finally, what is the best piece of career advice you've ever received? Yeah, so this actually is based on a book from Ellen de Patton that I just read. It's called uh, 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 A Job to Love is the book. Um, and uh, it talks about like, what are the pleasures in a job? So it could be, for me, it's creativity. Uh, it could be understanding, could be the feeling of accomplishment. And to really understand that your when you have those pleasures come up in your job, that's the, that's the thing that's going to motivate you. And that's, that's why you're going to be in that job. So really maximizing for those moments in the job that you're doing. So, and, and to separate that idea from what the job is even like, I think we have a tendency to be like, oh, I want to be a scientist. And you have this like vague idea of what a scientist is. Right. But then if the day to day, you don't like pipetting or you don't like, you know, hypothesizing and doing experiments, then that's probably not the good, not a good fit for you. So, um, and I think it's something that we don't, we don't have that conscious level of understanding of like what actually motivates you from the inside um, and trying to match that with a career. And so I think, you know, the best way to find the best career is to try a bunch of things out. And to not be afraid of saying, oh, I've you know, spent seven years doing this PhD, I have to be a scientist. Well, maybe you don't. And that the fact that you can take your scientific learning and do that somewhere else, right? And I think um, you know, people from in all industries would love somebody with a scientific background because you are trained to, to create things, to hypothesize, to test your assumptions and, and build. So um, so never think that there's the kind of the sunk cost of your education is limiting you. It actually should free you in, in taking on whatever you enjoy. Thank you all for listening. Visit us on Instagram at Thea Healthcare, on Twitter at ThiaHC, and on our website at ThiaHC.org for more content. As always, feel free to reach out via DM or our website's contact form with any questions or comments for us or our guests. Special thanks to our amazing audio editors, Ellie Park and Asim Jane. If you're enjoying our content, please consider supporting our podcast by donating at anchor.fm slash thea-hc slash support.